No problem. So, uh, welcome to a new episode of the next chapter. Emmanuel, thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. Happy to be here. So, uh, for the listeners, let's just kind of get a, a, a background. Um, so, you go to Fordham, and you've been there for, uh, I guess, as a senior, so four years now. Um, let's just kind of get who you are and, and uh, a little bit of a background. Absolutely, man. Yeah, so I grew up on Long Island. That's where I am right now. That's where I've been over the course of this pandemic, over the last eight, nine months. And go to Fordham, this is my senior year, and pursuing a career in sports broadcasting. It really stuck out to me as something I wanted to do early on in high school. Uh, pursued it ever since, and really have been fortunate to have some great opportunities at Fordham, uh, interning and now working at WFAN and doing other broadcasting opportunities that have been uh, really, really fun and hoping to continue this post-college as well. So that's kind of a brief summary of the backgrounds. And uh, yeah, hoping we have a little bit more normalcy next year where everyone can can get back to normal, whether it be the regular life or or college life, or, or, or just going post-pandemic and and having that weight off everyone's shoulders. Right. I mean, it, it, this this year has felt, I mean, I know we go through months, but I feel like we, this has just been one string of just, you know, every day seems to be the same. You know what I mean? Absolutely, man. <laughs> I mean, it, it, every day ties into the next. You, you really all meshes together. It's wild to me, actually, that we're sitting here about nine days from the new year because I feel like today could be confused for a day in October. And when I was in June, it felt like March. I felt like March and April and May. That was like one month. It was, it was really <laughs> strange. Everything tied together this year. And Hey, I mean, hopefully people were able to compartmentalize and, and connect with people and, and make the most of everything. And, and hopefully, you know, everyone's staying safe. But, but look, I mean, it, it has been a wild year in the sense that I can't distinguish December 22nd, honestly, from maybe November 5th. Exactly. It's crazy. And, you know, you would think there would be some sort of, you know, normal sense coming in because the vaccine is here. Right. I mean... And, you know, I, I talked about this on a, on a recent episode, you know, there was a video of the first female, I think, nurse in New York City that got the vaccine. And so I was like, oh, you know, we're seeing the light in the, at the end of the tunnel. But let me just get your thoughts. Do you think we're, we're near the end of this pandemic? I think we're getting close. I, I think it's a really important milestone, an important stepping stone. For instance, right now we're having the most vulnerable getting vaccinated, which I think is a really, really important thing. So you're getting the frontline healthcare workers, getting some of the elderly who are most at risk for the pandemic. They're getting vaccinated. So I think that's a really, really crucial first step. And then, look, I think it'll be more mainstream in, in just a few months. So looking forward to 2021, sure, there's still maybe some some tendency to be cautious. I think it'll won't be overnight where we just snap a finger and we're all back to where we were maybe in November, December of 2019. But we're going to take an important step where I think maybe late 2021, summer 2021, it's going to feel as close to normal as we have been in a really long time. Right. And, and, I, and I hope that's true because, you know, this this whole year, I guess you could say, it just felt so strange. I mean, I remember back in March, literally the first week of March, we were, we were heading home uh from Ithaca College back home you're like oh you know spring break will be back in you know week or so and then next thing you know uh the the country's locked down and you're like what what the heck just happened <laughs> it's wild man <laughs> because we came home and i remember it's weird and it's it's kind of embarrassing to say this but the general consensus around around campus and i'm sure plenty of people can relate to this around the country when we first heard the news like classes canceled we're heading home we might be home for a couple of weeks People were a little, they were weirded out, but they were excited. Like people were like, oh, you know, I don't have to go to class tomorrow. That's pretty cool. Because a lot of people just didn't right. know a lot about this virus. And I thought, right. honestly, we'd be home for a couple of weeks, maybe a month max. And then maybe we'd wrap up the semester, finish the final few weeks strong. Little did we know, like the entire world would shut down. And when the world shuts down, it ripples into something where, sure, we've gotten back to an ability to see people and be safe about it, but also kind of live your life, not just be hunkered down at home. 
But once you shut down the entire world for a period of time, it's a slow buildup. And that's what we've seen. Never thought it would be that way. You flash back to, to March 2nd or March 3rd. I was going on trips for Fordham basketball games. I was I was with one of my friends a week later at a at a Rangers game. Mika Zibanejad had four goals, including the overtime winner. And it was a wild, raucous Madison Square Garden where you look three weeks later after that, that's unrecognizable. When's the last time fans were in right. Madison Square Garden? And we were talking about 18,000 of them in unison cheering for an overtime winner. So it's wild when you put it in perspective to see how much things really change over such a short period of time. Right. And, and you know, uh, I've had a couple of guests we talk about this whole coronavirus thing and how we've handled it as a country. Um, and it, it saddens me to say that I think we have handled it the worst. You know, no, no, you know, and it, it really bothers me because, you know, I have uh, I have some family friends who live in Australia. And, and and if you don't know, the Australia or part of Australia, pardon me, Sydney in particular has zero cases. They've had they've had zero cases for the past, I want to say, two and a half months. And it's because of what they did at the beginning of this pandemic is they just they completely shut the country down. You know, you could you couldn't go you know, to visit family or friends, you go, the only places you go is the pharmacy supermarket. And that was basically it. And you couldn't go anywhere. And of course, you know, they wore masks. Uh, Let me just, Emmanuel, let me get your thoughts. Like, did did we handle this correctly? Like what, what could we have done better in your, in your opinion? That's a good question. I think it's complicated because few countries are on the scale of like the United States of America. Right. So, so you have such a massive country, massive land and a lot of densely populated areas that, that really don't exist for a lot of places aside from a select few around the world. So it's really complicated to discuss, okay, like where's the right mix? Where, where do we go wrong in the sense of, okay, how do we balance not completely ruining people's livelihoods with the economy because there are several other factors to consider like people have worked their entire lives towards making a small business etc and then shutting it down really takes away a lot of their sense of worth especially for a long period of time like two weeks is one thing back in march but then beyond that is is another story and then also how do you balance look we all got to stay safe we don't want people not only number one getting sick and potentially passing away but we still don't know the long-term effects of this virus in young people. And there have been a lot of studies on it. I'm sure we'll learn more in the coming months, the coming years, but there could be serious long-term side effects. So it's not like if you're a young person, you just want to get out there and get this virus. That's, that's not the attitude you want to have. So I do think, I wonder about this a lot because you look at the numbers right now and we've had two almost peaks. We had March and April and we have right now, we're going through a big second wave. So right. there is something wrong with that in my mind. Do we have to have two waves? Probably not. I don't think this is a scenario we wanted to be in in the middle of the winter where we're eagerly awaiting everyone to get this vaccine, but we're going through arguably the worst time in terms of COVID-19 in America. So I don't think there's a right answer, but I certainly think about it a lot where I look at these numbers and it's it's so unfortunate to see how many people have either been affected or know a loved one or know someone, a friend who's been affected by this or or, or, or lost a loved one. It, it's really unfortunate to think about that. And and you're right. There have been a lot of other countries that had it bad at some point and really didn't deal with it to the scale that we did a second time around. So I think that's really fascinating as well. Right. And, you know. It's it's interesting to see because I, I agree with you 100. You know we are, you know, a large, large country. We have millions and millions of people, and it's interesting because you know it's well. It's also sad to say is that there's kind of a divide. Right. You know? There there's from from day one there was a clear, uh, little bit I guess you could say solution is you know social distance, wash your hands, wear a mask. You know that that, that was like the big three. If you're I think if you're gonna put out you know what were the big key things to do to keep yourself safe i think those would be the key three things and it's sad to see you know in my opinion i don't know about everyone else's opinion but you know wearing a mask i mean it's one of the simplest things um you know you can buy them anywhere you can find them anywhere and yet people refuse to wear them i mean it's it's really you know i understand you know some people like oh it's i don't want to wear it because i can't breathe i mean 
you know, if you're doing this, like you're doing this to keep others safe. Right. You know what I mean? I think that's, we can debate as much as we want about the response. (laughs) And a lot of people love to do that. But one of the more unfortunate things has been that ideological divide, because I really don't think this virus needed to be politicized or like thinking about how mundane and, and vanilla these debates actually become between you know just doing a simple thing like wearing a mask and not doing it 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 goes further than the actual mask and i'm sure the debates get deeper than that but i think not having that coordinated response off the bat where we were all like united towards a singular focus a singular goal of defeating a common enemy like the virus i i think that's an area where like, look, we we all know we want to get past this. <laughs> like, there's no one right. who's rooting for the <laughs> pandemic to continue. And if you are, I'd like to speak to that person because I don't <laughs> think anyone longs uh, for the times we had in March and April. So, right. like, that's where I think the biggest shortcoming has been is there's a genuine uh, disagreement and sometimes ingenuine in this country of – just the right way to go about this and I, and to each his own or to each her own about how to go about it. But that for sure. And I don't think there's any disputing this has created some of the unfortunate effects of, of the virus, which is there isn't that common understanding of, okay, this is what to do. I feel like there's almost two, two sets of facts. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and it, it's just sad because, you know, we see we saw it during the election when people were were making it a whole political thing. It's like this isn't a political thing, man. As much as you, if you want to say that, you can, but it really isn't. You know, it's just you, it, we're just trying. to Oh keep yeah, and safe. I think if it happened, I always wonder about this. If this happened in 2018 or 2019, I think you might have seen a different story. Now it might have still been politicized, which is unfortunate. It, it, there still might have been some of that, but not nearly to the extent where it became a huge hot button divide of okay open up right. shut down like that's two extremes there was no middle ground there was no common understanding there was no like you said the three pillars do this this and this and we'll overcome this together right. i think if it was a different year and it wasn't an election year you might have seen less of that and you might have seen the tensions kind of eased to the extent of maybe we would have gotten over this quicker and not had such a eruption a second time around. So I I think that had a lot to do with it. And it was almost unavoidable in the sense that we were in such a uh, pitchfork type political environment that was ready to right. erupt. And the pandemic just brought out the worst of it. Right. Exactly. I, I agree with that uh, 110%. So, so switching gears here, and I, I say this a lot because, um, you know, 2020 has been an absolute roller coaster of a year. There, there's been more than just the coronavirus. There was, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement that really came into, into show. Um, you know, there, there was just so much going on, so much disruption, so much chaos, I guess you could say. Um, do you think 2020 was bound to come? Do you think all of this was bound to happen at some point in our lifetime? That's a very interesting question. I, I think... <laughs> It's a very loaded question, you know. We we can we can break it down. It, it's too. a good one though, um, because if you believe in, in in fate and stuff like that, I'm sure there are obstacles that are meant to come. And if you believe that things are meant to right. be, I think that's a better way to go about life, actually. Because if, right. if you just think "woe be me" and and think about what could have been if it didn't happen, well, what are you doing? You're you're spending time thinking about something that just isn't reality. I think the reality is pandemics happen. Uh, they talk about is a once in a century thing. It's true. We didn't have anything like this since since 1918, 1917. So, sure, I think bound to happen is probably a decent way to put it because if it didn't happen this year, it's going to happen at some point. So, I think if you approach right. it in the sense that, okay, things are meant to happen and it's all about how you respond, I think that's an important outlook to have, an important perspective to take because – Otherwise, you're just going to drive yourself crazy wondering about what ifs. And you might just be miserable at the end of the day, especially with the lack of hope a lot of people have had throughout this difficult year. So I think you have to approach it like that. I think in terms of keeping yourself sane, keeping yourself in control of of your mission and your purpose, thinking it's meant to be 
and was going to come around at some point. We have to respond and we have to respond positively. I think that's the best way to go. Right. Exactly. And I, and I agree with that, you know, hundred percent. I think this year, I think specifically in the months of March and then I guess you could say until like June, when we could actually go out and, and be in the sun. It, it, it took a toll on people, you know, people were losing jobs left and right. You know, families were struggling and, you know, we bring back to this, this kind of mindset of, you know, you got to focus on your goals. You know, I, I had a lot of friends who were going through a very tough time because they wanted to go back to school. They wanted to see their friends. They wanted to, you know, go out. They wanted to party, uh, which is all, which is, you know, good if we're not in a pandemic, but you got to make changes in your life, but you got to make sure that you keep your mentality somewhat sane. That's a good point. You know I mean? And like, we talk so much about yeah. goals and, and, and having a purpose in life. And you don't want to lose sight of that in, in the midst of all the craziness. I remember being hunkered down back in March and April while everyone was going through the quarantine in New York. And I, I was just trying to remind myself, okay, there are there are X amount of hours in a day. How am I going to spend it? And it, you you really have to, especially in settings like these, you know, shelf off a couple of hours for this, shelf off a couple of hours for that. I think it was a really instrumental time in terms of uh, reassessing what you really hold dear. And that had to do with family, that had to do with a bunch of other things. But I also wanted to make sure, okay, I'm not doing uh, broadcasting right now. There aren't live sporting events back in March and April. What am I going to do to better myself in that regard? What am I going to do to keep my mind on that task? And I, I made it a purpose to to shelf off a couple of hours every day, whether that be um, seeking advice or working on something, listening back to old work, making notes, reading something that could educate me further on the topic. I think that was a crucial part of those two months, something that actually helped keep me sane because I knew I was doing something related to a passion right and, and i think that's huge and i want i kind of want to circle back to what you said you know one of the biggest things that you know i think is very important is that you understand that you have 24 hours in a day and a lot of people tend to take those 20 hours for granted and they say yo you know i'll sleep until like 12 or 1 but that's kind of, that's only right. half your day gone you know we, we talk about setting goals and and working your tail off to you know, be successful in life. That, that's a big key part of this podcast is talking about success is, you know, you, you can't waste your entire day, you know, sleeping or doing something. You, you gotta, you, you know, you only got 20. Right. Hours. I'm all for self-care. You I'm know? all for, if you need extra sleep, get it. Like I'm not going to prevent you from right. doing that. Exactly. But that's a really important point. You have, you only have so much time. And especially if you're trying to achieve a goal for anyone who's going after a particular goal or passion or a desired line of work or desired field or or anything in life it doesn't have to be work related you only have those 24 hours what are you going to do that's going to separate you at the end of the day and exactly. if you're sleeping until one o'clock unless you were up until 6 a.m i i'm not sure if that's the best use of your time now, you want to right. have sufficient enough rest where you can focus and, and properly dedicate your time. But I, I do think there's something to be said for really mapping it out and saying, hey, what am I doing right now that could really keep me on the right track down the road? Exactly. And I think that's so important because, you know, if I actually saw this in a documentary I was watching about this guy who was working on Wall Street and he and he lived in LA. So when Wall Street was opening at nine, I guess you could say it was like, you know, it was he was up at six AM. Even before that, five AM, like five thirty, even four AM. He was up because he knew that the people in New York City were getting up at the same or, you know, at whatever time it was like seven thirty or whatever, getting on the train. And he knew to, to to get to beat them, to be better than them, he had to get up right. Early. You know, we always hear, you know, you always hear like early bird gets the worm. I mean, in reality, if you want to become successful or you want to be the, become the best, you know, athlete, whatever you, you got, you got to get there before. Everybody and gets. the same could be said for, for late at night. Like you, you hit the, you hit the sack at right. uh, 11 o'clock or midnight. Did you really do everything you could do to set yourself apart at 3am? Who's still up doing something that you could be doing. Exactly. And do you want to look back exactly. and say, I really left it all out there. I left it all out on the fields. 
the proverbial field per se, because you it could be getting up at four o'clock in the morning or going to sleep at three, and you never really know who's up and who's asleep, but you at least are telling yourself, okay, I'm up at a point where I really feel like every single day I'm working towards that purpose and I'm putting everything into it I possibly can. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, sometimes, you know, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned uh, over the years is, is you got to be willing to put in the hours. That's one of the biggest things that I've, if, when I look at everything I do in my life is like, am I, if I'm going to put 110%, I also got to put in the time because I mean, you know, you can do, you can spend 30 minutes on this and it could be decent, you know, but is it going to be better than the 10 other people that are trying to do the same thing? Is it going to be better than the hundred people that are doing the same thing? You know, and, and I think that's where you really see who the, the true hard workers are. It's like, wow, he's up at four in the morning or he, he's still up at four in the morning. I mean, you know, that's, that's really where it comes, where it comes down to is, you know, how much time are you willing to put into this? Whether it's sports, television, writing, reading, whatever, you know, occupation you want to do is like, it's are so you right. And uh, I think that shows itself in the final product of what you're working on because some people will, will go that extra mile to make sure they're trying to perfect whatever they're doing. And, and there's no such thing as perfection. You're always working towards it. You'll never achieve it. But it's it's those who who work towards it relentlessly that, that can achieve some form of greatness. And when you continue to work on the same task and fine-tune it and work to make it more perfect and sharpen the edges. I think those people, of course, end up putting in more time, but they hold themselves to a certain standard where they're not willing to just settle for, for second best or satisfactory. Right. Exactly. Exactly. hundred percent. I think, you know, I mean, I, I know for, for you, I mean, if you want to give an example, like you spend hours, you know, way past midnight working, you know, I, I remember you told me a story. If, I think if I recall, I mean, even yesterday you were up way past midnight, if I recall correctly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's part of my job at WFAN. I work sometimes the overnight shift, 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. And I'll arrive at work at, at 10 o'clock at night, prepare and get ready to to produce whatever show I'm working on that night. And I'll be running the board, producing, screening calls, running commercials, hitting the proper elements, booking guests, and doing that from 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. So that's something where not only am I working those hours, but I try to make it a point when I get home that, sure, I get rest and, and I sleep until, you know, let's say 1 o'clock in the afternoon, but right. I'm not going to spend the rest of that following day completely resting or, or sleeping because I still want it to feel like somewhat of a normal day. So I'll still wake up at, let's say one o'clock so I can still live the rest of that following day, get what I need to do accomplished. And then if I have an overnight, the following night, I can repeat that all again. So that's what I did last night. So I was uh, there from, from 10 PM to 6 AM drove home, slept, and then woke up around one o'clock and that's a case of it being set in stone. Like that's the hours I have to be there. In other cases, it's, oh, I have a assignment to finish. I have to submit something for my work. I need to, to work on a project or a piece, perfect this cut, perfect this audio as much as I can. And that could take me into the wee hours of the morning, 3 a.m., 4 a.m. So I think it's just a matter of holding yourself to a certain standard where what you have to do not only gets done, but it gets done to the best of your ability. Exactly. And I think, you know, it takes a, a certain passion or, you know, admiration and love for what you're doing, you know, because you have to be so damn involved and you, you, you have to care about it so much that you're willing to, you know, push yourself to limits that you, you never thought you could be, you know, uh, accomplished, you know, spending hours and hours. I mean, 12 a.m. To, to 6 a.m. I mean, that, that's a huge span of time. Um, you know, working and, you know, there's some people that, you know, sadly, uh, you know, they, they can't do that. They have a, you know, maybe it's just because they don't want to do it, but it also might not be their passion. But if you really, really care, and you really are so passionate, like to the 
to the to your soul that you want to do this. I mean, you you're, you can do it. You know, it, it's fortunate too because when I'm there from 10 p.m. and then starting my shift at 12 and and getting out at six last night, mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. So when callers are are flooding the lines talking about Trevor Lawrence and and the Jets maybe missing out on a potentially franchise altering quarterback. I love that that conversation and I love being there and helping put on that show that can entertain and inform so many listeners around the area. So if I was doing accounting or some other job from 12 a.m. to 6 a.m., I'd probably be miserable. So I think that circles <laughs> back to the to the concept of no matter the hours doing something you love and being passionate about it. If you truly enjoy what you're doing, those hours don't, don't seem so, so forefront. So right in your face, because sure, I'm tired when I get home, but I'm sure I would be way more, not only strained physically, but emotionally and mentally, if I wasn't doing something I loved. Exactly. Exactly. hundred percent. I mean, you know, I see it, uh, on a daily basis with, with, you know, people I know, they work, you know, the graveyard shift and they come home at like eight in the morning. They're like, Oh my gosh, this was terrible. I can't even imagine, you know, working that long for something they don't really care about. But when you, when you're doing something you, you truly, truly care about and you, you know, time one actually flies by because you're having so much fun. Um, but two, it's also, you're, you're progressing, uh, to, to be even better of, uh, you know, broadcaster, and to be even better at your job, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I think it's the whole concept of, of 10,000 hours. You want to put in as much as you can to, to perfect and have that attention to detail. To, and always have that mindset of growth where you're never leaving a stone unturned in terms of working towards being the best version of, of your given task or your given profession or your given, given field. Right, exactly. And so, so – Sticking with your profession and, and a lot of the listeners, you know, we talk about how in life it's not always going to be, you know, sunshine and rainbows. There's going to be some bad days. There's going to be some, you know, there's going to be some rainy days, you know, and, and, and speaking with with, you know, kind of our profession, you know, podcast, radio, uh, broadcasting. There's a lot of rejection in this field, <laughs> sadly to say, you know, it, it, not, not everyone's the next Stephen A. Smith as much as you'd want to be the next Stephen A. Smith. Um how, how do you think, you know, for the listeners that people should deal with these type of rejections or you don't get the job, you don't get the internship uh, that you wanted to or you aspire to get? I think you have to take it as a learning experience. And this is coming from someone who's obviously still young. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of this I'm going to go through down the line as well. But I think taking it as a complete growth mindset, taking it as a learning experience is always a way that you can turn something that seems so negative and so so harsh at the time and and so maybe stone cold where you don't even hear about okay you didn't get the job you may not even hear that you may not even hear why you may never have that reasoning and if you could continue to search for that reasoning i don't think that's really productive and that's not the most really fundamental thing you can do uh, towards growing yourself personally and professionally. I think if you look at it as, okay, how am I going to grow from this? I didn't get this position, but how can that help me in the future? How can that help me down the road? Because maybe it was the way you went about it. Maybe it was the way you presented yourself. Maybe it was, okay, let's take broadcasting, for example. Did I put my my best foot forward? Did I did I send my best work? Did I did they see the best version of me? Or if you interviewed for a position, uh, you know, was was I authentic? Was I myself? Uh, did they get me? So right, there's can be that internal reflection of not as much focusing. Okay, why did this person get the job instead of me? What could I have done better? And that's not going to happen for every position because you could be applying for 150 jobs and maybe hear about one and hear back from one. And you're not going to think about all 149 positions and what you could have done better, but especially those where maybe you thought you had a decent shot or you got to a deep stage. I think there can be a lot of self-reflection that can help you improve and it can turn into less of a, 
okay, this was a negative in my career. This was an obstacle. And sure it was, but you can really spin it into, okay, this can help propel me towards my next best step. Right. Exactly. I think that it's, it's a great point because, you know, self-reflection, uh, no matter what the situation, even if it's, you know, you don't get the job and it gets, you get turned down, you know, you can always put a positive spin on it and say, okay, you know, where, what can I do better? Where can I go from here? You know, because there's, there's opportunities, you know, there could be an opportunity, you know, the next day you didn't even know about. And I think a lot, you know, speaking from, uh, you know, a younger perspective, you know, you know, you and I are kind of just getting into the field of this, you know, there's, there's rejection every day and, you, and people, you know, sometimes people don't deal with it as well. They feel like the world is, is, is crumbling on top of them, but there's always, there's always, always a positive spin you can throw in it. No and you hear a lot of success stories in this field of people who got their biggest opportunity when they least expected it. So it could right. come after your biggest rejection or, or painful rejection that the best opportunity comes. Or again, we talk about self-reflection, but you can always view it as a blessing in disguise where sure you really wanted that position. You really wanted that gig, but what positive could come down the road? A lot of people will then reflect after that great opportunity that they didn't think would come and say, oh, wow, I, I really didn't belong in that other position. How would my life have changed if I had gotten that and, and this didn't come along? So again, exactly. like we were talking about with the pandemic, everything really does happen for a reason. Right. And I think, you know, a very big thing too going off that is, is change. You know, sometimes uh, a majority of us don't like change. We get scared like, oh, you know, we don't want, you know, this to change or that to change. But sometimes in life, change is actually for the better we may we may not know it we, you know because we're, not, we're going to an unknown but change is usually to make us as humans you know evolve and get better you know going with the pandemic i mean they talk about a change this is like one of the biggest changes and adaptions that everyone's had to go through and i think you know over a century um but change is a part of life change is how we grow and develop and become better uh, as a human race and as a society. And I think, you know, sometimes people get scared of change. 100%. And how are you going to challenge yourself? We talk about the broadcasting field. Okay, how can you expand outside your comfort zone? How can you do something that maybe you didn't think you wanted to do? You may end up loving it. You may end up not loving it. But then how does that help you grow overall as a person? So I think right. especially uh, – I at least view this from my perspective as someone who's young taking that opportunity that challenges you and maybe that you didn't think was up your wheelhouse benefits you way more than just staying right inside that comfort zone, because not only will it help you grow and broaden your perspective and help you improve, but it may make what you really love to do. You may make you that much better at it. It may make you appreciate it more and once you get back to that thing that's more comfortable, then you can thrive even more. I remember doing a doing a volleyball broadcast, and I didn't know much about the sport. I tried to read up as much as possible. <laughs> I tried to get different perspectives so I could really sound like someone who was in tune with the sport and, and deliver the best product possible. But then once you do that sport, you go back to basketball. It makes basketball easier. It's just it's almost like right. you're a baseball player. As a sports analogy, you're you're about to step up to the plate and you're swinging with a donut on a bat. If you if you if you took the <laughs> at bat right. with the donut on the bat, I don't think it would go too well. But you <laughs> challenge yourself and you put that extra weight on your shoulders. So now your bat speed is going to be lightning quick when that fastball comes your way. Exactly, and you know I think that's so important. And and kind of going in a little bit of a different direction here, uh, we also talk a lot about on this podcast is the the beast mode, the grind mentality. So a lot of us, um, you know, in this world tend to just kind of half-ass, part of my language here, um, a lot of the stuff, whether it's homework, uh, you know, workouts, you know, whatever, and you kind of just do the bare minimum. Um, at Fordham, I mean, it's an amazing broadcast school. Um, you know, one of the schools I actually looked at when I was applying to schools, I mean, you, you got to work your tail off to get into, into you know, volleyball, basketball, football, any sort of broadcasting or play-by-play -play there. Um, what was it like for you to to go up against this competition? Like, what was your mindset when you were, I guess, let's say, uh, a freshman? Yeah, that that's a good question, man. I, I I think it can be intimidating, 
but I never viewed it as when I walked in. And I think this maybe was to my benefit because I, it helped me not really overthink it early on. When I walked in, I told myself, like, I'm going to do this. And that was the internal mindset. I didn't try to portray a level of arrogance where anything belonged to me. I knew I had to earn it. But I told myself I was going to do this. I knew by my sophomore or junior year, I set, my, I set goals for myself. I said, I want to be doing this broadcast or that broadcast. So by my sophomore year, I was the primary women's basketball broadcaster. And that was ahead of schedule. But it was because of the work I put in my freshman year. So I knew it would be pedal to the metal. I knew I would have to grind. And I think that comp- level of competition, as you put it, it makes you better because you have people who are just as passionate as yourself and you're learning from them and you're growing and you're you're hearing what they do. You're applying some of it back into your own work, but you're also trying to expand upon that. So I didn't view it as much as hard-nosed competition as, okay, this is going to make me better. And I also kept that internal mindset of, look, I belong here. I, a few years before I even applied at Fordham, I knew that was where I wanted to be. So once I got there, there had to be no doubt in my mind, this has to be the path. There's, there's no, there's no do over here. <laughs> so my freshman right. year, I tried to expose myself as much as possible to everything that went on at the radio station and even outside opportunities beyond Fordham whether it be video streams at other East Coast Conference schools or some games for St. John's with their ESPN3 broadcast. I tried to get as many reps as possible where I would be well-versed enough to be that person they wanted on the air and, and someone they could entrust with that great responsibility on a radio station that's on a college campus but is a professional NPR station. So they only put people on the air and a select few who they feel comfortable putting out that professional product. So I think I was better off for it once I, once I did get that first opportunity and I didn't limit myself to, to on-air reps. I, right. If they needed a producer, even though I was a freshman, I said, look, I'll do it. And I, I'm not sure if I'm ready for it, but I put myself out there and then they'd often give me the assignment and showing an ability to be selfless and, and be a team player and, and, and do everything behind the scenes it contributed towards that, that team goal of a great broadcast and you become someone they can rely on. And also once you're on the air, you have an appreciation for what people are doing behind the scenes. It's easy when you're just an on-air talent to say, okay, I, things are going wrong and, and freak out. But if you've been in the seat of the producer, you know things can easily go that way. And I think when there's that greater understanding, there's a greater camaraderie between the teammates. Oh, hundred percent. I think, you know, I want to just pick on something you said. He's like, you had, you had this goal in mind. You knew when you, before you knew, before you even went to Fordham or when you got there as a freshman, like you were going to be, this is what you were going to do. And I think that's so important uh, for whatever you want to do in life is you set a goal or even multiple goals. If you want that, you have certain goals that you want to, that you want to check off in, you know, year, two years, what, what have you. And I think that's super, super, super important because that's that's how you know you're progressing when, when you're hitting those goals and you're hitting those check marks. You know, if we're looking at it from a, a, a broadcast perspective, I know at Ithaca for freshmen, one of the, the check marks is if you want to do play by play, if you want to get to play by play for, let's say, football or basketball, you got to go through these check marks of, you know, you do color, you do uh, pre post half, you do some producing, you know, you do the little things and then you get there. But I think what, if you have a goal in mind, that's so, so important to have. No question. Absolutely. You know I mean? And it doesn't mean it makes you agenda driven or, okay, this needs to happen by X date and you do everything to make that happen because that, that's robotic. That's not authentic. But if right. you have a goal in mind, like, okay, I want to be at this stage. I want to get to this spot. And regardless of the obstacles that come, you continually work at it. I think that's the way to be. And I think that's, that's what ultimately can, can set you on that path towards growth. And I, one of the most important things, as I mentioned before, I think is learning from your peers and really treating that relationship with them as a privilege and also viewing no feedback as negative feedback. Because right, when you exactly. seek out criticism on your work, 
you're not seeking it out to to be told you're great. You're asking for it for a reason. And even if you're not asking for it, if someone tells you something that could be improved or whether it's positive or negative, I think there's value in all of that. Now, that doesn't mean everything that's said to you needs to be something that takes up the full portion of your focus. That's not true because something you may brush off as being, okay, you know, I respect that opinion, but that's not what I want to do. But I think there's value to all of that. Even some criticism that may be unfair or negative or that you don't want to imply back into your work, you can take something out of that and say, hey, there was some merit to what was said. Right. And I think, you know, a constructive criticism is a huge part of growth. I mean, if, you know, speaking, uh, if we're looking from a journalist standpoint, because I know writing, sports writing is, is, you know, a lot of people tend to do it, but it's one of those areas where you can get a lot of feedback from. And people tend to get a little aggravated, like, oh, what do you mean my writing is bad? It's like, well, we're not saying it's bad. We're just saying you can develop it even more. And I think those are like, if people are saying negative things, it's not tend to be rude or mean. It's actually tend to help you grow as a, as a, as a writer or a broadcaster, or what have you, the, 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 the feedback and the criticisms are there to push you to be even better, to push you to a level that you never thought you could actually reach without getting. And one of the good criticism. things I think at Fordham that mm-hmm. I was exposed to early was sure. Now it's more seeking out, feedback from from professionals in the business who I admire or just looking for those types of 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 nitpicking critiques to to pick out things in my work I can improve upon on a given broadcast but off the bat freshman year at Fordham you're exposed to an environment where it's collective growth so after a game you have five six people maybe seven or eight on a football broadcast who who work together getting together afterwards and you're basically leading an open discussion on going around the room, self-reflection, what we each could have done better individually, and then collectively everyone pitching in, okay, this went wrong during the broadcast. Even if it wasn't noticeable to the listener, this went wrong internally. What can we do in the future to improve it? So doing that after every game, uh, what we call the post-mortem at Fordham, uh, I, I think that was huge because it, it shows everyone check your ego out the door. When you get there, we all are right. working together and one person's success uh, or one person's failure, that's everyone's failure or everyone's success. So having that team mindset exactly. and, and really doing that internal reflection after each game, I think that's one of the most important things I could have learned right off the bat from my first visit to Fordham and then going onward into my freshman year. Right. And, we, and so we also talk about mentors and, and, and I think mentors are a huge part of when you're when you're picking a goal, when you're trying to get to a goal. You know, you always want to have someone that's that's already done it or they're doing it at the moment. Um, did you have any mentors? I, mean, I, I, bet, I bet you did. But um, as you were progressing through your career, absolutely. Fordham, I think my first mentor was back in high school when I learned about Fordham. I went to a sports broadcasting camp after my freshman year of high school. It was held at Chaminade High School on Long Island. And it was run by a man named Pat Reichardt, who's become such a, not only a mentor, but a friend of mine. And he went to Fordham. He graduated in 2005. And he works in the Yankees and the Mets scoreboard departments. And he introduced me to Fordham. That really sparked my 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 passion and love for broadcasting and also Fordham itself and, and WFUV, but he really kind of took me under his wing and said, you know, I think you can do this and, and, and I think you have potential to, to do this at a high level and then gave me that necessary criticism when I needed to hear it of not only, okay, do this differently in a broadcast, but okay, this is how you should present yourself or conduct yourself professionally in an environment or also, let's say, in an email and outreach. So, I think that was so fundamental. And then he introduced me to Bob Ahrens, who's the former executive sports producer at WFUV, recently retired a couple of years ago, but remains a mentor to this day. And Bob is really a gold standard in terms of churning out uh, college broadcasters and, and making them professionals prior to even uh, their graduation date at Fordham. And he mentored the likes of, of Ryan Rucco and, and Spiro Ditas and Tony Reale and, 
and, and Mike Yam and and some of the long line of uh, of sports broadcasters who have come through WFUV and Fordham, and he became a guy who could be a sounding board for anything I had to ask or listening to a broadcast and hearing something that literally nobody else would be able to pick out, but he heard it and he would be completely brutally honest in his criticism. And I I just think that's so important. He taught me the basics, the fundamentals of play by play, but then also took me a step beyond in the sense that once I had some of those fundamentals relatively in hand, he would nitpick and, and give me criticisms, this, that, and then that extends beyond Bob now where, uh, some of the Fordham alumni have been super helpful to me just in terms of industry advice or or particular broadcast feedback. But I think that all stems from from Pat Reichart back in high school and spanning to now. And then Bob Ahrens, who was really like a super mentor once I got to Fordham and has set that standard where now everyone else who comes after him at WFUV looks to uphold it. Right, exactly, and I think that that's so important because when you have a mentor, and, and even going outside of broadcasting, whether whatever it is, you know, sports, if we're talking about um, as athletes, you know, you, you you always look up to that person to to push you, to make you better, you know, give you advice, scoop of lessons that they would have done you know, at your age. Um, and they may, and they also gives you a little bit of an edge, you know, um, it gives you a little bit of an edge on the other people. Maybe they don't have, maybe, you know, someone, if you're competing for, you know, a spot or, uh, you know, what our job would have you, um, you, you kind of get that little bit of competitive edge because they have already gone through that process. It not only makes you better, is, but, it, but it teaches I mean, it, you how to take really, that criticism. It's so important. Really? It really is. Um, but so I want to, I see, I want to actually stop here for, Exactly. Exactly. So I want to save the last uh, 10 minutes of the show um, because something very big happened last night. I know you and I are both uh, big sports fans. Uh, I don't know if you watched the game, um, but the Bengals beat the Steelers in a huge game. Um, this is kind of a little off topic, but I, I kind of wanted to throw it in there just, just, for, just for a fun segment here. Um, Emmanuel, let's, let's just get your thoughts on this. I, this game just blew me away. Um, just from a, a you know a neutral. Hey man, I think I lost you for a second. You hear me now? Got you. Can you hear me? Hello. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I got you. So, um, so I shaved off the I just, this last ten minutes of the show to talk about last night's game: Bengals Steelers. Um, because it was just so crazy. We're both sports fans. I just kind of absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, quick, kind of what a week just, you know, in the National fun, Football League. You have kind of of the Bengals beating that game. an 11 and 2 football team in the Steelers, and you have the Jets, who are winless, beating the Rams and potentially ruining their number one pick hope. So I think that's my number one takeaway is what week ever do you get that type of outcome where two heavy underdogs? come away with victories but but yeah i think it on a broader scale uh not to go deeper into the to the final outcome of the Bengals winning the football game is i think there's a lot of parity throughout the league right now and i think anyone can be beaten i i think at least what i've seen the last few weeks and especially following the giants as well locally and their push towards making a playoff spot is there is a lot of parity there are a lot of teams that can be got and there aren't a lot of teams throughout the National Football League right now where I say, hey, that team ex- is extremely scary. I-, I wouldn't want to face that team. Now, maybe the Kansas City Chiefs are one where they're up on a pedestal right now, and the Steelers were for a while. But I think there are a lot of teams kind of in that same realm. Right. Where this is a good team. But I look at the AFC playoffs, and aside from the Chiefs, there's not one team that sticks out to me as, whoa, that team is a runaway favorite. So I think beyond the final outcome of the Bengals, of course, playing a complete game and and beating a really good football team in the Steelers, I think it shows you a little right. bit more of we're in for some good competitive action in January that 
isn't really indicative of previous years where maybe you pencil in the Patriots as a as an expected favorite in in the AFC. There's a lot more parity throughout the league. Right, and I think you know the. the I was like, I watched the game last night. I thought, like, wow, like this season has been so crazy because with COVID and all the, you know, the Steelers now on the their third loss, uh, and it's just it just goes to show this this season is just so crazy. I mean, uh, oh yeah, I mean that Wednesday a, a game, Wednesday was afternoon game, somewhat Ravens, interesting I mean, where it, 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 it almost got preempted by the Rockefeller tree lighting, and <laughs> really I think that was a hot button debate of the league now is contemplating whether they want to be in a bubble or not for a playoff setting. And they've said repeatedly, they don't want to do that. But I think there's been this all out mentality of we need to get every game in, which I think is important for, for competition integrity in a season like this. But there wasn't a lot of regard, I guess on that Wednesday game for, for the common NFL fan, because you're putting out a Wednesday afternoon while everyone's working. So uh, that sparked a lot of debates about how the league should go about the final stretch of the season here. But as you mentioned, it just further <laughs> underscores that exactly. you can't predict anything in this year. And beyond the actual competition and beyond the teams that face value, I think the nature of the year, no fans in a lot of stadiums, teams being all out of whack, sometimes not being able to practice at full capacity, sometimes not being at full strength, because of COVID-19 guidelines or, or positive tests in certain cases, anyone can be beat, and you never know what's going to happen in a given week. Exactly. 100 appreciate it. Um, of course, man. Appreciate you having me, Gabe, and great conversation. Really enjoyed it. It means a lot. Great conversation. So this this show is going to air uh, tomorrow. So this is going to actually be the last episode of 2020. Um, good looks for 2021. Uh, happy holidays, Emmanuel. Happy holidays to you guys.